Leonard at the line to ice the game and to win the championship. Free throw is up and in. The Raptors by four. Cousins inbounds the ball. Curry heaves it at the buzzer. It's no good. Franchise history. League history. The Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. A city. A province. A country celebrates. The NBA championship is due north. Welcome in. It is the podcast according to sources. I am your guy, SD2 Mikes, better known as Sean Davis. I got my compadres with me today. We're about to knock this NBA news leading up to free agency starting on June the 30th. Prime time has been moved up. We'll find out about the new salary cap as well on the 29th of June. That will be announced. But before we get into that, as always, I introduce... My running partner's running the wing as I'm running down the court, making these beautiful dimes. My guy, Chris Kaysen at C4 Dunk. What's up, C4? What's up? And then I got my guy, BC, Brian Crawford, on the line. What's up, boy? What's good, family? That's how we do it, the podcast, according to sources. And uh, let's start with looking at the NBA Finals. Uh, asterisk is a word that I've heard a lot when we talk about these NBA Finals. Six games it took the Toronto Raptors and Finals MVP Kawhi Leonard to take out the defending champs trying to go for a three-peat. The Golden State Warriors ravaged by injuries throughout the playoffs and especially in the NBA Finals. What do you guys say about that proposed asterisk when it goes next to the Toronto Raptors, the 2019 NBA champions? Um, Well, for me, I'll definitely say once you get into – the playoffs, injuries or no injuries, I mean, it's all about winning. You know, whoever steps out there on the floor, you have to be ready to compete. I mean, it does. You know, it does. I want to say it taints it, you know, just because of how difficult it is to get to that point. I mean, and the Warriors have been there five straight years, which can take a toll on any team, mentally and physically. There's further respect to that double three-peat. Yeah. Definitely. In my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and um, I mean, it, it it sucks from a fan standpoint, just that we weren't able to see the Warriors at full strength, you know, but you look at their first title against the Cleveland team without Kyrie Irving or Kevin Love, you really don't take anything away from that because LeBron had a hell of a finals, but, you know, that pretty much what started, you know, their run. So, Nothing was taken away from there, and I don't think anything should be taken away from what Toronto did. They were just a better team. I mean, albeit some health issues with the Warriors, but, man, nobody – it doesn't look like anybody on the planet, you know, could have slowed Kawhi down. And then um, you had contributions from Fred Van Fleet, and the finals were actually probably the best series – I've seen Kyle Lowry put together, like, in his career. 
you know, timely buckets. I mean, driving. Very aggressive. Dishing, yeah, six. definitely. Yeah. I mean, going at Steph, putting pressure on their defense. I mean, that Gasol pickup was huge because it gave them another playmaker on the floor. At first, I thought he was going to be taken out of the series. But, I mean, he they were able to stay big. Siakam, I mean, they just, they were deep. You it was know? almost, one of the things I thought that, they did a great job was, and I'm not saying that they watched that 2015 uh, series with Cleveland, but I think once Cleveland saw that they could constantly put Steph and pick and roll, they did mm-hmm. that from game four yeah. all the way to game seven mm-hmm. and ended up coming back from down 3-1. It seems like Toronto, especially in games five and six, just made up in their mind every time we come down court where Steph put them in pick and roll, mm-hmm. and then we'll run the offense from there. Yeah, make them work. And then you look at d- offensively, he was so – I mean, that little boxing one strategy, you know, in one of the games, he was just never – they didn't allow him to get into a rhythm uh, really at any point in the series. I mean, and you got to give credit to Golden State just being able to be in position to possibly force a game seven. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so. Clay had it going, too. Exactly, man. Clay, an injury, Clay, Clay had it going. Put up a 50 ball. Might as well call him game six. Yeah, I mean, so nothing taken away from the Raptors, uh, my standpoint, just because it's so tough to get there. Um, you know, once you're there, injuries or no injuries, whoever puts on um, their jersey and laces up their sneakers, you got to be ready to play. BC, you're usually critical of certain champions. How critical are you of what Toronto was able to do? Not at all. I mean, it was that was no reason for me to be critical. Like, I didn't – the injuries, I don't – I mean, you can't control that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, everybody wanted to see a healthy Golden State, you know, versus a healthy Toronto. I mean, because let's face it, you know, Kawhi Leonard was still banged up too. You know what I'm saying? So everybody wants to see, you know, two healthy teams like that go at it, go at it for the championship. But – I mean, it just didn't happen like that. You know, guys got hurt, guys went down. It just wasn't in the cards for, you know, for, for Golden State. And that kind of thing happens. Um, so I don't, you know, I, Toronto played very good basketball. I actually wanted to see them win. Not that I was, you know, rooting against Golden State, but, you know, you just kind of, you know, you just kind of need something new, you know, every now and then. And, you know, and that was a big story. And, you know, I like that team. I like the way the team is put together. You know, I like everything about it. So, now, I mean, I wasn't critical of it. Like, I hear, you know, the stuff about the injuries and the asterisks. I'm not with all that, man, because, I mean, what if that would have happened to Toronto? You know what I'm saying? And then what? Do we do we give go to say the asterisks because, you know, Kyle Lowry might have went down or, you know, Siakam or something like that? No, we don't do that because we want to see them go for the 3 feet. So, nah, man, it's just, it, it just wasn't go to say, yeah. And they've lost before. So, that, you know, that's not even, like, you know, a big thing either. You know, they've taken L's in the finals, you know. So, it's, it was nothing, man. I was, I mean, I was happy for Toronto, definitely for Kawhi, you know, Kyle Lowry, all them guys. So, I was cool with it. Yeah, as mentioned before, I said the 2015 finals. I meant the 2016 finals. But just to piggyback off what you just said, BC, in the 2015 finals, that was definitely a finals that most people can point to and say, hey, Cleveland didn't have Kevin Love and Kyrie. Is it an asterisk next to that finals for the first championship for the Golden State Warriors? So I totally agree with what you're saying, man. It's a part of the game, injuries. And speaking of injuries, we might as well just go ahead and just talk about the biggest elephant in the room, 
and which would lead us right to Andre Iguodala, the KD injury. BC, you are very, very adamant about the fact that you thought the calf injury thing that they were putting out was BS. I mean, you, you said it on the podcast. Like, it's BS. It's not a calf in- injury. You can just look at the injury, look at what he reached at, how he responded. That's not a response to a calf injury. Do you still stand on that? And do you buy the Johnson & Johnson apology given by Bob Myers when I'm talking about? When I'm, I say that, I mean no tears. I mean, yeah, I stand on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, I, from the gate, like, that's an Achilles, man. Like, that's, that's not a calf. And then, you know, and I know we, you know, we're going to get into this a little bit later, but, you know, what Andre Iguodala said kind of supported that, you know. And, you know, the whole Bob Myers and the tears and all of that stuff of, you know, not tears or whatever. I mean, that was that was almost like, you know, an admission of guilt. And, you know, you had, you know, another one of your players in a in, in a totally different and unrelated form basically, you know, co-sign that. So, I mean, you know, I think, again, you know, it's that desperation, right? Like, you know, at at that point in time, like Kevin Durant's sole purpose for being in Kevin um, in Golden State was a higher gun, and this was that moment. And so they sent him out there, you know, with the risk of him being hurt. And you know, now they got to pay for it, and you know, in a lot of ways, you know, financially, obviously, KD would be silly to you know opt out now. You know what I'm saying? Like going to make them pay you to rehab for a year, pay, make you pay a lot of money to rehab you know, for a year because they owe you that. Um, but, you know, I I don't know, man. It, it, that whole situation just still just don't sit right with me. And, you know, I think I think at the end of the day that that might hurt, you know, might hurt the team in the long run. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know, man. It, that still bothers me a little bit. That's, that's kind of sensitive for me. Uh, before, before we started the show, BC, I was in here talking to C4, and he said it reminded him of a similar situation with Luau Dang and the Chicago Bulls. Mm-hmm. And I was, we were trying to place oh, which playoff hard. run it was when they, they basically said he had a, a bone bruise and it was actually a fracture. Yeah, this was Are that. you talking about that one? Yeah, yeah. that one before The fact that, uh, that we can say Celtic we're talking series. about that one. But just talk about that a little bit, what was going on with Lou. Well, yeah, it, I mean, I can't remember what year that series was, but that was that classic Game 7, you know, Boston, Boston series. It's kind of like the coming of age of the Scott Scow era, yeah. era Bulls. And, you know, it was put out that Lou had, I think, a left left leg bone bruise, but it was actually a fracture. And I don't think he came out initially and said it, but, you know, he took a lot of heat. And, of course, there was those questions, uh, you know, will he be back here this game? Will he be back this game? And, you know, the team really wasn't forthcoming about that injury. And I forgot – how the information came out later that it was a fracture. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, with any injuries like any professional athlete, I mean, you do have the team. It's kind of hard because you have the team doctors. These are guys that you're around on a day-to-day basis. So you establish trust with them. But at the end of the day, they're, they work for the team. They're employed by the team. So there's a bias there. So every guy should always seek you know, a second and sometimes third opinion because you're a million-dollar entity in yourself. You're your own business. So while I trust you, we can laugh. You you take me up every day. You let me know about little sprains. But for something like what Kevin had, 
I'm pretty sure he did have like some outside consultation. And I think where they went wrong is they left it up to him. You know, they said, hey, you know, you won't do any more damage to this. So, you know, it's up to you now. And you well, know, see, I don't know if that was the case. I actually think it was up to Bob Myers. I think that's why he went up there like that. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, I think Kevin Durant, wanted to play, you know what I'm saying? And not not disagreeing with what you're saying as far as, like, the doctors and the trainers and everything telling them that, you know, like I said, when they said that he could tweak it, to me that was an immediate red flag, you know what I'm saying? Because, like, you know, you've been out for, like, a month, and they're telling you all oh, the worst you can do is tweak it now. they basically telling you, like, it's something, like, you're not all the way right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that, but then at the same time, that kind of decision has to go higher up than Kevin Durant, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Because... That's that's an ownership call. Like you got to make that call because you you getting all of the information. Everybody bringing everything back to you, right? Kevin knows what's going on. Kevin, and that's another thing why I said like, yo, sometimes somebody had to be there to protect him from himself. You know what I'm saying? But that's a separate issue. But when you you know when you that high up and you getting all of the information, man, like he knew. That's all I'm saying. He knew what the reality of that situation was. And Kevin Durant comes out first quarter. They, you know, he looked great. They dodged the bullet, and then bam, it happens. And now you feel bad because yo, you green lighted that. So now you know you basically shifted the whole course of the NBA for like what the next year and a half almost. So yeah, now nah, you gotta you know you gotta own up to that man. And that was like Chris said, like the team doctors and everybody else. You know, they work for the team. They get paid by the team. So I thought it was very telling. Like after that happened, you know, with him going to New York on his own, you know, I think I think that said a lot. You remember last podcast episode nine? I said this because we began to talk about free agency just a little bit, mm-hmm. and I said the NBA offices and NBA execs took a deep breath when they found out or when they were told it was a calf industry yeah. injury because I felt like KD going down with an Achilles injury would be the worst thing ever heading yeah. into next season. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that. BC, you you disagreed a little bit because you thought free agency was – he thought he still would get the money, and you thought free agency would still be a big thing with everybody else and everybody changing teams and how it could flip the landscape of the NBA. With everybody looking at that situation and saying, it's not like you can't – if we sat here and talked about it on our podcast and we talked to others that felt like, yo, the Achilles is a possibility. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're not doctors, you know. We didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, so no. You can't look at an X-ray or MRI and tell you or look at the books and tell you, well, basically the calf is really not, you know, going to connect to the Achilles and they're two separate things and it was just a fluke injury. No, that's not a fluke, man. I I just don't believe in that. I believe deterioration on any muscle leads to something else worse happening. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen it too many times with other athletes. Derek fought through several injuries yeah. that weren't talked about that, in my opinion, led to the ACL. Yeah. Now, most people yeah, will tell you that's the, just a fluke. I just don't think it's Achilles, a fluke. I mean, the Achilles, like, when it first happened, that's probably a fluke. Like, I got a cousin that tore both of his Achilles, and you know what I'm saying, in, 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 both, in both legs. And... He's talking about the, the Achilles is the initial injury. If it's the initial injury, right. then yes, you could probably say that it's a fluke, but, you know, from a calf to an Achilles, come on, man. That just, you know, that's just, 
that's two different parts of your that's two different parts of your lower leg. You know what I'm saying? Like the calf is much higher, way higher. You know what I'm saying? So right. you talking about everything below that. And so yeah, man. Like, but I understand the other thing about that is I understand why teams put out false reports. Mm-hmm. Like I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you always want to keep the opposition on their toes. First of all. But then at the second time, you know, you always want to keep that hope out there that this guy's going to come back. Yeah. So that's going to keep people coming. You know what I'm saying? So, but that kind of thing is like very, very, very dangerous and detrimental because, you know, like, again, like Andre Iguodala talked about it, you know, you get people talking, you know what I'm saying? And if you don't play, you know, they get, you get pressure from the fans and you get pressure from inside the locker room, you get pressure from your own teammates because they don't even know what's wrong with you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yo, when you coming back? And so now you get, you know, your heart get questioned and all that kind of stuff. So, man, it's it's, it's a cultural issue that really needs to change, especially when it, you know, especially when you're talking about injuries and stuff like that. Because when people get hurt, that's when you stop looking at, at them as actual people and you start looking at them as commodities and, and, and things that are supposed to entertain you. And so that you become very desensitized to what they're going through because you're upset that they're not entertaining you. And that is the kind of culture being set when teams do stuff like that. Yeah, one thing that I do hope, I mean, if the KD injury can provide any type of silver lining is, you know, if you can't go or something is really wrong, I think guys need to start getting in front of that, just saying, Mm -hmm. hey, like, Whenever I feel better, then I'll be able to go. Right now, you know, this is what's going on. You don't have to be completely forthcoming with the severity of it. But, you know, I just dislike the questioning of a guy's toughness. I mean, because at the end of the day, this is what they do to support their families. So when you're actually taking it, when you're questioning somebody's manhood or their willingness to want to play, especially at that level, when you get to that point of the, the season, that to me, I think is like just unjust because you know, we can't question. It's unfair guys because yeah. especially guys like you that have been in these locker mm-hmm. rooms and yeah. you talk to these guys, yeah, you we, know what they're yeah. fighting through exactly. to play every night. Yeah, I mean, especially at that point when you've been to the finals five straight times, there's no. I mean, you almost have to, and you look at how shortened their off season is. They really don't have a chance to like fully rest their bodies at all at any point and to go through that I think three straight years for Kevin Durant five straight years for that team in general like that takes a toll on the body so I mean to question a guy's toughness and not even have any insight on what it takes on a night game to game basis for these guys to get their bodies even feeling good enough to play I think that's just wrong so I just hope it just provides um, the next group of players now when you do get that initial diagnosis like hey I, I feel you doc you know been around each other for a couple of years but I'm gonna go to my own doctor yeah now and get a you know opinion. get a second opinion yeah. because you said you're you're your own business so and, and you let's know, be let's be real the team doctor works for the team exactly exactly so their job is to do what's in the best interest, in the best of, interest the team. of the team so I mean I just read a story about uh I can't remember what football player uh, this was, but he's real good with uh, the team doctor now that he had during this time while he's playing. And the team doctor told him, like, hey, there was a couple of times where, you know, I cleared you. I said it was okay. And, you know, you shouldn't have been out there at all. 
Like hearing information like that is scary because, you know, you're jeopardizing, you know, not only career, future earnings, but we're talking about life away from the sport. You know, if you can football of yeah. all of all sports, you know, you're clearing a guy to play when he probably shouldn't be out there at all. So you're doping him up, you know, just to be ready for Sunday and then, you know, say something worse happens, you know, he, football, there's no guaranteed contract. So you mess up that. And now you're looking at, you know, who knows what happens now, you know, you have a debilitating injury for the rest of your life. So that stuff is just scary. So I just hope guys now, you know, take ownership and like go and get that second and third opinion before, you know, just putting all that trust in the team doctors. According to sources, the Breakfast Club, Andre Iguodala, joined DJ Envy and uh, Charlemagne the God. And one of the things he talked about and answered, who was to blame for Kevin Durant's Achilles injury? That's a tough part too. You think about it. We have a really good training staff. I, I you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. Our training staff is one of the best in the world. And I feel like they got them back. The tough thing is, is when you're an athlete and you're hurt, everybody's looking at you sideways. Mm -hmm. And then being his teammate is harder because everyone's feeding stuff in our head when Katie coming back, when Katie coming mm -hmm. back. And the like, fact that it's the finals. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Last year happened to me. Mm -hmm. I missed the last three games of the Houston series. It goes to game seven. We barely get out of that series. And now they're looking at me like, when you coming back? And I had a I had a fractured leg. and they But it's being put out there like he got a bone bruise. I'm like, no, it's fractured. But I, so I'm fighting with the team. I'm fighting with people. I'm fighting with the media. And then my teammates ask me every day, how you feeling? How you feeling? So with Kay, he getting it from everywhere too. Like, how you feeling? How you feeling? Not just from, you know, the, the team, but from family or from, uh, you know, people close to him. You know, this is our moment. This is our stage. You know, right. this don't last forever. And, and what they'd always say in sports, oh, he was a tough guy. He played through injuries. You know, you're, you're validated as an athlete if you win a championship or how tough you were. Mm -hmm. You know, if you sit out, it's like, ah, he's not tough. Like you think about it, the history of sports is all about people's perception of you, and they want they want to get their gratification through you for themselves, and that's just the way of sports, you know. Um, it's kind of y'all fault a little bit too, though. It's true, uh, it, it, a little bit. I agree, but at the same time, is we're taught to maximize our value. So you heard it right there, Andre Iguodala talking about his own experience and the fostering of a pressure environment when it comes to the Golden State Warriors going from top to bottom, including the players, kind of putting pressure on guys to come back quicker than they might be uh, ready to actually perform. But then them putting out contrary word or a contrary report to what the actual injury is. He talked about having a fracture that he uh, got in the series against Houston in 2018. They put it out as a sore, what? Sore leg. Yeah, like leg bruise. Leg bruise. bruise kind of similar to what you spoke about with Luau Dang. Mm -hmm. And there's no way he should have been playing, but, you know, he has all his teammates coming at him saying, yo, when you coming back? When you coming back? And he said pretty much that KD was receiving the same pressure. Like, yo, when you coming back, how you feeling? How you feeling? Is this part for the course in the NBA with all organizations, or do you think – this was something that specifically we can put the spotlight on the Golden State Warriors and say, man, they really mishandled this situation. Man, I, you know what? I think, I think the biggest problem is, you know, like Andre Iguodala says, like it's too much input. You know what I'm saying? Like you're getting, you know, teams are getting so much 
you know, information now, you know, from their fans and the people who are watching the game. And players are getting that same information too. Like you said, you know, at halftime, guys going there and, you know, pick up their phones and, and, and look what people are saying and stuff like that. So, you know, it's sports culture, not just NBA, sports culture has just become very toxic. And, you know, the toxic part of it is people don't necessarily enjoy the games. They actually feel like they're invested in it. You know what I'm saying? And so they feel like they have a say-so. Like, they feel like people should listen to them and, you know, and get their input. When really and truly, like, you know, what do you really contribute? You know what I'm saying? Like, like if you're not one of them people that's, you know, paying however many hundreds of thousands of dollars for a seat, you know, you just watching at home, then, like, like what, I mean, what reason or should I have to listen to you? You know what I'm saying? Or why should I allow you to put pressure on me to perform? You know what I'm saying? So it's the problem has become the culture of sports, you know, with the advent of stuff like social media and, and technology and stuff like that. And, you know, the NBA embraces all of those things. But that's what comes with it. And they feel like they have to answer. You know, they have to answer to all these people. So now you got these mandates going out across the league, like, you know, star players, you know, they can't sit out games on the road because, you know, you like, you know, you got people holding up signs talking about how much they pay for tickets or how far they drove and stuff like that. And so, you know, you you, you answer to all of these people and these players basically become like, you know, I, I hate to use the word, but they become slaves to that. You know what I'm saying? Because now ownership feels like, you know, hey, you know, you got to get out there because, you know, we got to please these people. And so, you know, you as a human being, you know, you become secondary, you know, and your entertainment value becomes, you know, the first thing people want to talk about and the first thing people harp on. So to me, you know, the culture of it is bad. And I think I think it's time for a shift. Like, like we can't just keep doing that to these guys because, like, you, you know, like Chris said, like, these people want to have a quality of life. You know, they still want to be able to enjoy the time with their family, make their money, and, you know, go on and do what they do. So, you know, let them do that. Don't give them any added pressure that they don't already face, you know, just from the career that they chose. Yeah, I mean, and I think we're at a point now where we, you know, since the contracts are publicized, you know, you're almost in a situation where you're not really considering the human aspect of it. It's just like they're commodities. You know, people think the this is like video games now in a way. Um, but to answer your question, I think this is what goes on in most organizations. You know, I mean, they don't re- they're not going to reveal the full extent of an injury unless it's absolutely necessary, as if there's just no other way. You know, you can spin it like with Clay's injury. There's no way to say, hey, he just has a sore knee. No, it's a torn ACL. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, you know, just like what BC said earlier, it's all about, you know, having some type of edge and, you know, creating the belief that, hey, he'll be back at some point. So that continues to generate interest, fans coming to the game. But it's at the player's expense because he might be really, really hurt. And, you know, we're going through a situation now where his teammates are built. You know, they're checking on him, of course, but they're in the back of their head, they're like, hey, man, when is God, When are you coming back? You know, when do you think you'll be good to go? Like, so that puts the onus on that player, and then you got so many opinions from the outside. There's so much media now 
And so many talking heads like, hey, well, this guy should come back. They're planning all these scenarios, you know, in fans' head. And, you know, fans are tweeting the players. That player is hearing it when he does go to the game and he chooses to sit on the bench. So that creates this mentality of, you know, maybe I need to suck it up and go on out there and lay it on, on the line for my team. And that ends up, you know, costing you in the long run. You know, KD's going to miss all of next year and who knows what. You know, I have no doubt, you know, he'll still be, you know, what we've seen. But, I mean, it puts a question mark there because we don't know, like, mentally what that does to somebody coming back from that type of injury. So um, I don't know if it needs to change just because, you know, at the end of the day, this is guy's personal information. This is medical information. I don't think we need to know the full extent of right, things, right. you know, so there has to be some and privacy HIPAA there. laws that prohibit exactly. that, yeah. that. So, But what yeah. needs to change is just our, you know, this thing where we're questioning guys for being hurt yeah. and willing to play. And I think a lot of that has to do with the money they're getting paid. So it's almost like, hey, you know, you're hurt, but – this team is paying you $30 million, so get on out there and, you know, suck it up. I mean, that's hey, – I've earned this money, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. So, you know, you can't question these guys' hearts. That's something else that Andre Iguodala talked about, and I want to get to it. But before I do that, you said something very interesting, both of you, when you talk about the general managers. Is it fair to say – I mean, Bob Myers is in a difficult spot going for the three-peat. You definitely want to have the three-peat going into this brand-new Chase Center in San Francisco. They've already sold in suites and ticket sales $2 billion. billion. Andre Mm -hmm. Iguodala also said that on The Breakfast Club, which is is phenomenal, but it's just crazy to even think that that is taking place. The pressure put on him as the general manager to get this team and to get everything that he's built across the finish line. Is it fair to say that in that moment, he did have a heart, and he was reflective in saying maybe, dang, I effed up. I think, yeah, because at the end of the day, even when we look at owners, GMs, this is professional sports, so yeah. guys are competitive. Yeah. So sometimes that can cloud, you know, your judgment. Yeah. You know, so I think with the KD situation, they're looking at this guy like, he puts us over the top, right. which he does. I mean, but he's maybe 60 70% of what he should be. And I even think, you know, I put a little bit of onus on um, Steve Kerr because, I mean, when a guy has that type of injury, you know, maybe four minutes here, four minutes there, but the way he played him, he went to the bench, I think. And then came right back. Yeah, Someone got in foul trouble. Yeah. I, I don't know if he was getting iced at the time or if that was heat. I wasn't sure. And he brought him right back. Yeah, but if that was ice, that makes no sense at all to, you know, put ice on something that's – inflamed during the game and then place him right back in the game. And it's one of those situations where you do have to protect that guy because KD hits his first three threes. And then in his head, I'm pretty sure you forget about about it. His threes that he hit, in my opinion, were like practice threes. They were catch and shoot. But except the third one where he just like, yeah, he dribbled into it. But it wasn't full speed. It was kind of like low you to sleep, Mm -hmm. pull up from three. The first time he legitimately had to make a power move Mm -hmm. and push off is when it went. That's what happened. But that's what happened. You get felt good after those first three. Now in your head, you're not even thinking about, you're not even thinking about. like it's go time. Yeah, it's go time. I got surge on me. I'm going to the cup. Right. 
I already know what move he was going to. You know, it's that Hezzy. He's going to rock him back to the right, pull up, and first move, snap. So I just think that general managers, just like the athletes, especially when you look at a team like Golden State who's been there five straight times, they've been the team that everybody's gunning for. So you're looking at a situation where you're down. It's like, man, this guy puts us over the top. Like they, I think they wanted it too bad, and KD wanted to come back probably too bad. And, you know, he put his body on the line for that yeah. team, man. You know, for what? You, when you look at it, like, for what? And BC, you I mean, go ahead, BC. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I, you know, I was going to say, I don't really give, you know, the the more I sit here and think about it like that, you know, what Bob Myers did, I, I don't really, really like, I, it's bad because they handled the Clay Thompson situation totally different than they did KD. True. Mm-hmm. Because, True. you know, you set Clay Thompson out with like an ankle injury and, and, and he clearly felt like he could go. You know what I'm saying? And, it was a hamstring, you know, right? It was a yeah, hamstring. Yeah, yeah, hamstring. Yeah, yeah. It was a hamstring injury or whatever. But, you know, he clearly felt like he can go. But, you you know, you protected him, you know, and you set him out a game in the finals, right? I, you know, I understand that you're trying to win. And definitely, like you said, KD pushed you over the top. But you down 3-1. And in that situation, you know, you're a little bit, you know, you're a little bit desperate. You know, you 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 trying to do anything to stress the series out, not even stress it out, but actually win it. You know, but when you when you protect one of your guys that you know that you probably going to keep or whatever, or even if you don't know that you're going to keep them, let's say we don't know Clay Thompson was going, you know, let's say if he was going to leave or stay, we don't know, but whatever. That was one of your guys, right? Like like he came up in your program. Like you drafted that dude, he's been there for a minute. And like I said, KD is a higher gun. So you hired those you handled those two situations totally different. And to me, like, that was that was very telling. And, like I said, that's why the whole thing just don't sit right with me. Like, I understand the competitiveness and, you know, everything like that. And, but, and like you said, even Kurt with the coaching decision, all of that was just – it was just handled really, really poorly in the in the name of, like you said, you know, at the beginning, it sounded like they want to go into this new – you know, they want to go into this new season and this new arena – with a championship, they had a lot of things going that caused them to make decisions that weren't in the best interest of, you know, of the players. And it's amazing you say that because Steve Kerr even, you look at the way he spoke about the Kevin Durant injury and the Klay Thompson injury, he was very black and white with Clay, and was right mm-hmm. out front saying, I'm not going to put his future in jeopardy. I'm not mm-hmm. doing that. And with KD, it was just kind of like, well, we don't know, we'll see. Everything was gray. You just see a totally different mindset, which kind of plays into the mercenary thing you talked about with Kevin Durant that you talked about earlier. That's who he was. He was the higher gun for them, you know, to make sure that their run continued a little bit longer than it might have. And another thing you touched on, and I want to get you guys' opinion on this before we switch topics. You mentioned owner and the word owner and, like, the culture being similar to slavery in a sense. When you have guys like Draymond Green putting it out there that they don't want the owners of the NBA teams to be referred to as owners, are they really talking about the word? Are they caught up on the word? Or is it really the culture that's connected to it that we're starting to see with some of these things that have happened and transpired via the NBA Finals 
that's the bigger issue. Like, are we really caught up on whether or not you refer to these owners as owners or governors? Mark Lamont Hill had a very inflammatory post on Twitter recently where he talked about it. And he brought up, you know, the way that LeBron was treated by Dan Gilbert and how other owners um, have treated their players. He talked about the experience with the Clippers where Donna Sterling would come through the locker room with females and say, look at look at my guys, look at their bodies, and just put them on display. And it goes to something else Andre Iguodala talked about was the difference between the stadium and the arena fan base and just the normal basketball fan base and them having to appease both, having to deal with both, and feeling like, yo, when we're on that court, we're basically entertainers. I mean, are we nitpicking when we're talking about the word and should we be focused more on the actual culture of what we're seeing coming forth you know what i think i think when players make statements like that like when they make the statements like that you know this is not like an outside thing where you know some columnist or something like that wrote something like you know maybe we should stop using the word owner you know in relation to you know white guys owning teams in a league where ninety percent of the you know ninety five percent of the league is black, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, this this wasn't that situation. This is a, this is players, or you know, in this instance, Draymond Green or whatever. But a player is saying this, like, yo, like this is not right. And I think when it comes from that side of it, that's telling you something. You know what I'm saying? Like that's saying something. That is saying like, yo, there is something going on behind the scenes that y'all don't know about. That's a problem, and that problem is like that attitude is probably becoming more and more pervasive, you know, in that particular environment. And it's becoming very uncomfortable. And like I said, you know, again, that's that's where all of this pressure is coming from. And it's, it's they're, they're being driven. And so, you know, when you're being pushed, what happens? You, you know, you start to push back. So there, you know, when you say culture, yeah, I definitely think, and I've been saying, like, I definitely think this is the cultural issue. And the culture of the NBA you know, where on the outside it looks good, you know, it's this shiny thing. I think on the inside with a lot of the stuff that we're seeing now, it's not all that great, you know. And, you know, you could take this all the way back to the whole, you know, Pop Kawhi situation, the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was, you know, just this negative attitude about this particular player and this injury, and, 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 it, and it created this rift and this tension. And so – this is a cultural dynamic that is like you can only keep these things buried for so long. And, and, and like in, in this era and age that we live in where everybody got a voice and everybody got a platform, this stuff is going to start to come out. So I think that's where a lot of that stuff is coming from. Is like, you know, there there is a cultural issue. And now players are, you know, using their platforms to speak out about it and, and let people know. And, you know, without actually telling people exactly what's going on. It was funny because. Draymond Green's the one that spoke up about this, but we can remember just about two seasons ago, I think, when there was a low management talk came up mm-hmm. concerning the Golden State Warriors. It was one Andre Iguodala that said, man, you know, if we if Massa tell us to play, we we play. And we're kind of mm-hmm. referred to Steve Kerr as Massa. And mm-hmm. a lot of people were like, I remember Mark Spears wrote an article, BC, we talked about it a little bit earlier where he kind of was like, yo – Steve Kerr is one of the most woke coaches in the NBA, and we need to give him a kind of a black card and give him a black card pass. And no, that ain't what he like, said. 
No, I'm just paraphrasing what he yeah, said. Yeah, you, okay. you can go ahead and, and give your <laughs> thoughts about it. I'm just paraphrasing what he said. And I just pointed out that, you know, that's the same viewpoint a lot of people have a pop. Yeah. Like, he's woke. He's always speaking up on social issues. And it's like, uh, yeah, but they're still on the other side of the fence at the end of the day. Like, publicly, they might speak up to have that connection to their players. But they're still connected to the ownership Yeah, at the end of the day. So, you know, when it comes to the CBA and sitting down for negotiations, they're not on the, they're not on the player's side. They're getting paid by the owners mm-hmm. or the governors or however you want them to be referred to. Yeah. For me, it's about the culture, and we need to deal with the culture more than worry about what they're referred to. But go ahead, BC. I want you to touch on some of the issues you have with what Mark Spears actually said in response to what Andre Iguodala said. I mean, the problem that I had with what he said was, I mean, exactly what it was. And I'm trying to, hold on, let me, he said, Kurgis, wait, uh, yeah, Kurgis happens to be white, but he deserves an honorary black card in my book. Moving a little longer, I mean, at the end of it, he says, if a black man had to be, had to have a so-called master, you better hope and pray it's a white man like Kurt. That's crazy. And I'm like, come on, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, these guys don't even want that connotation. Right. Like not period. So let's not you know, let's let's not justify it. You know what I'm saying? Like like let's not make it okay because it's not. Because, you know, if if that's the reality and the and the dynamic that's going on and you know, from the way that we've seen the the way the Bulls handled the Luol Dane situation, you know, both times to me was was very telling and it was you know it was very eye opening. But the Derrick Rose situation kinda of changed everything for me. Like that was like I I had officially a you know, seen it all. And I mean and by all I mean I'm talking about like how, you know, guys in the locker room felt, you know, how the you know, how the coaches felt, how the ownership felt, and you know, how the fans felt and how the media felt. And like being that being that close to that situation, it does. I mean, at the end, like when you step back and you look at it, it I mean, people come off like they own you, like they can tell you what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like they can, like they can make a judgment on you as a person and as a man based on whether or not you're gonna suit up for a basketball game. You know what I'm saying? Like, who wants to feel like that? And so we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't perpetuate that. And I think we should listen to these players. You know, it's it's funny. Donald Trump, he actually had a problem with it. Like he didn't like it. You know, the whole owner, the governor thing. And you know, obviously, I thought that was real ironic because you know we know that these owners of these sports teams, you know, kind of rock with the dude a little bit. But um, again, man, you know, I keep going back to it. This this is a cultural problem. Like it really is, and I think these players and 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 some of the stuff that they're saying and some of the things that we've seen are basically speaking to that, and it has to change. Yeah, I mean, I agree one hundred percent. What do you think about those comments from one Mark Spears, uh, who's man. highly respected? Yeah, who's highly, highly respected. respected? I don't know him personally, but I know people who know him. Um, yeah, I mean, stuff like that has no place in sports or. Society, period. You know, I don't care how cool a guy is, you know, to say, you know, if I had to have a slave master, that's who I would want. want. (laughs) Yeah, that's like that makes no sense. So it's just poor uh, word. And I haven't 
you know, read the story at all. But, I mean, that's an issue where players, I think what just in general, we're kind of, it's inherent to like just view these guys. We take away the human aspect and we're, we're looking at them as basically vessels for our entertainment purposes. So I'm not even thinking about, there's no way I know what that guy's going through on the day to day. All that matters to me is if he's out there playing, if he has a good game and you know, if he's, focused or not you know I don't care about anything else and I think that's how fans are I mean and if you're an owner or a governor or whatever you're paying this guy you almost feel it's it's like you know if you go up to like CEOs of companies or yeah. something if you have your top earners and one of them is not you know performing you know up to your standards or something is wrong you feel a certain way so I think it's just going to take you know just the more and more we deal with these uncomfortable situations and have dialogue, I think the better things can get. But, you know, something like, you know, if I had to have a slave master, I want Steve Kerr. Yeah. Like that's, that shouldn't even and be. And just to give credit, that was from an article uh, on The Undefeated written by one Mark J. Spears on March the 11th, 2017. Okay, so, so there's a couple look years at it, ago. archive yeah. right there. Yeah, a couple years ago. Undefeated.com. Yeah. That was look, a man, couple of days end, after look, Andre Iguodala made the comments in the locker room, yeah. once again referring at, to Steve Kerr as master. As master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Look, at the end of the day, man, it don't matter if you call them owners, governors, managers, whatever. Exactly. If the attitude is still the same, right. it don't matter. It don't matter. Like, like it doesn't matter. Label, the label is not going to change how, you know, that how that person, you know, still deals with that situation or runs that business, you know, in that way. So it don't, you know, it don't even really matter about the label. Like that's the, that's the least important part of it to me. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, a guy like Draymond doesn't have a right to feel that he doesn't even like that term, you know, in terms of the connotation of it. But again, you know, I think he's speaking more to that. There's an attitude that comes with that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm thinking he's probably like, all right, well, if we change the label, then maybe the attitude will change. But if that doesn't happen, then, you know, you're still in the same situation. There's lipstick on the pig. Yeah, and when, when you're a general manager, it is a balancing act. We talked about Bob Myers. C4, we talked about this with the whole Luau Dang spinal tap situation. And John Paxson. When he held a press conference right after that, he spoke about some of the regret mm-hmm. he had with the dealing of that situation. I remember you telling me that, yo, they went to see him once yeah. during that whole thing I'm at the hospital. Her, yeah, once. One time. One time. Organization. Yeah. Guy almost dies. Mm-hmm. You go to see about him one time. My problem with the spinal tap was, like, yo, like, not even that he's in the middle of the playoff hunts. Like, forget that. Like, you're going to get a man a spinal tap for malaria? What, because he's from Africa? Like, that that was the problem that I had. Like, there was no reason to get this man a spinal tap. None. You echoed the same thing, C4. You had never seen an athlete have to get a spinal tap. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I said where it comes to a point where athlete has to say, like, I'm pretty sure Lou was going through flu-like symptoms. So at any point, he's just looking for anything that's probably going to make him feel better. And you're trusting... This guy, you've been around your whole career, you know, who's treated you through, you know, other ailments. 
if he says you you got to go through this because we got to figure out this, then you know nine times out of ten that's what you're going through. But you know, almost cost him his life. So now, you know, say if the worst the worst would have happened in that situation, I wonder how things would have changed. You know, been good with Lou for a long time now, but I always wondered, you know, what if the worst happens? Yeah. Like how much of a that. I think that's and still. And they trade you in the middle yeah, of the night. They, they trade, they trade you <laughs> for Andrew Bynum. You know, it's yeah. I just look at that and like it's little situations like this to where I hope guys just know the importance of. Let me go get a second opinion. I, I hear what you're saying. I respect that, but let me just double. No check. one knows your body better than exactly. you. Exactly, and that's something yeah. with the Kevin Durant situation. I know all the pressure, everything. BC, you feel like. You know, his guys around him should have saved him from himself, basically. Yeah. But I go back to Serena's documentary. When she had the procedure, the mm-hmm. doctor said she was fine, and she kept telling the doctor, no, there is something wrong. wrong. And if she had stayed the way she was and gone home, she would have died. Mm-hmm. You know, so eventually, as an athlete, you have to know your body. Like, and don't feel like you need to be pressured to please anybody else. Of course. I don't care how much you're getting paid. Yeah. A contract is a contract. You earned that money. You earned that you money. You earned that. You, you earned it. it. Take care of yourself. C4 Dunk, Chris Kaysen, Brian Crawford, and SD2 Mike Sean Davis. We're going to slide in for a few minutes of free agency talk and get out of here. And we'll have another big free agency podcast coming up after all the big moves are made. We'll be right back, according to sources. You're listening to According to Sources with BC, SD, and C4. Right here on A2S Network. All right, we're back. We're going to close this out. NBA free agency. This story that broke recently. The Houston Rockets, Daryl Moore. How desperate is this guy, man? He's basically put, according to sources, ESPN has a story, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, the Rockets have put Capella, Gordon, and P.J. Tucker up to uh, create cap space to lure one Jimmy Butler to run with Chris Paul and James Harden. And they're trading these guys for first-round picks. That's all they want. They're going to give up Eric Gordon for a first-round pick, Clint Capella for a first-round pick. Clint Capella is definitely a salary dump with the new contract he just got. And P.J. Tucker is, I guess if you're getting Jimmy Butler, you really don't need him to be the rough-and-tumble blue guy uh, anymore. If you're Jimmy, man, and you're choosing between Philly and Houston, I know the grass may look greener with James Harden and CP3 on the other side, but, yo, you were a few bounces away from going to the NBA Finals, in my opinion, in Philadelphia. Like, why would you leave? If I'm Jimmy, I mean, why would you leave? I mean, let's just say he cares about going back home. That's Maybe that could be enticing. You know what I'm saying? Maybe right. that could be enticing. No on state tax? basketball tip? Yeah, no basketball. I mean, I mean, no state tax. Yeah, that's good, too. Um... But on a basketball tip, I don't know, man. I don't know if I would want to play down there, not with James Harden and Chris Paul. Because it, y'all know how I feel about both of them dudes, man. Like, very talented, but I just don't think you can win with them. And I don't think they're going to ever win. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just that, I just feel that. And so you would be down there stuck in a situation where, you know, in a couple years, Chris Paul would be going. Um 
and then you know it's just, it'll be you and James Harden, and then can you play with a dude that shoots forty times a night? You know, because Jimmy gonna like to get hit too. He's like, who was the second lead scorer on the Houston Rockets, and what did they average? No way. CP3 had his lowest PER. I know you hate analytics, mm. but as far as stats, this is the worst statistical year that he's had. What do you have, like 13? Yeah, something 14? like that. No, nah, I think it was I'll, little, I'll look it yeah, up. Yeah, it was a little bit higher, but yeah. Higher? It wasn't 20. No, it definitely wasn't 20. And but. I don't think James Harden has ever played alongside a 20 point a game score. Outside of. Not okay, since he's so, been in Houston. Yeah. Not since he's been in Houston, and I don't even know with him 15, being this ball down. 15, 15 and a half and six assists per game. No, eight assists per eight, game. Yeah. 15 and eight. 15, 15 and eight. Yeah. He's a career 19, 9, 19, 10, so, 9.7. Yeah. So a 20-point a game score, his average falls off by five points. You know what I'm saying? Jimmy is a, what, a 20-point a game score right now? What is 20? For a career? Yeah, about 20, right? Nah, well, last year. Yeah, last year. Last year. Whatever. You're last not going to average that much. 18.75 rebounds, four assists. Mm-hmm. 18.75. Yeah. That was last year? Last year. Okay. Nah, man. Like, I don't know if he can play with somebody that just shoots that many times. And the crazy thing is, in a tough series, James Harden might be MVP. I would trust Jimmy with the ball late in the fourth quarter before I trust James Harden. Yeah. And that's just from the evidence I've been shown the last two years. Yeah. And the thing about that is James Harden not going to give up that shot. No. Um, He might. He might give up that shot. Oh, with D'Antoni? Who who, who do you think D'Antoni would favor? I mean, but you look at, you know, KD going down in, what, game five? I mean, that's James' time, man. He was passive. You go back, you go to that game six at home. You're playing with house money, and you let Steph go off in the second half. I agree. I mean, I look at that situation, and I see a team, you know, desperate to win. And, you know, from a fan standpoint, it's good. But I think this is one of those situations where you're looking to make a move just to make a move. I don't think you need to shake that roster up everything has to start from within so i've said this for the longest kobe has said it you cannot win with that system i mean what james does is incredible i mean to average 36 in a season doing across 82 games where every night team's number one option their number one objective is to stop you to limit what you do and to have teammates yeah. that are comfortable sitting there watching you dribble at the top of the key and you're just ready to shoot, all of that's impressive at all. So, I mean, I think we do a poor job of just commending the teammates outside of Chris Paul who are, like, comfortable with that and still rock with James, yeah. who I hear is a good dude. But there's no way I'm, I can't. I wouldn't be able to sit there. Hey, we're winning ball games, but I'm not comfortable just sitting here 18 seconds in the shot clock and then being ready to shoot a three, you know, after he's he has no other options but to kick it out to me. I mean, in terms of it's passing. It's a LeBron thing. Yeah, in terms yeah. of passing and everything, he's, he's great at that too, but they run into the same issues year after year. You need 
you need ball movement. Yeah. You need guys cutting back door. That's what Golden State is good at because you have two shooters, outerworldly shooters, who run through picks and everything. When you give a, a defense a chance to rest oh, yeah. and a chance to send help to you, where I really don't have to worry about these other guys. You? Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, it's easy. It's easy money. So now you're going to bring in another guy who needs the ball in his hand. And knowing Jimmy from the time that I've known him, there's no way. I say that can happen through preseason because he's not really going to go hard preseason. Those first two games, James shooting 28 a game, and I'm over here in the corner. Right. That's that's not going to work at all. And I look at he's not PJ the, the meshing of just his personality with D'Antoni. That's not going to work at all because Jimmy will. Curse oh, D'Antoni. Yeah, he will curse D'Antoni yeah. out. And that's not saying anything about Jimmy as a player or this combustible personality. I just know how competitive he is, and he's not going to be okay with being a third option and sitting there watching and You make a questionable decision, he's going to question. Yeah, I mean, and there's no way he's going to be comfortable yeah. from how he's used to playing, what he's worked his way up to. I'm not about to watch James Harden dribble for 16 seconds. And I'm hustling in there, and I'm guarding fours, threes. No, that's not going to work. I said, I tweeted this. I was like, if they want to make the perfect player for that system, if you're going to currently continue to play that way, would be Kevin Love, a guy that's going to rebound mm. at a high level. And what is this bread and butter? Pick and pop. And then the corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pick and pop. Yeah. yeah, but other than that, you really don't need – but Kevin Love would have to be, that would be in conjunction with Capella, right? Yeah. You would still would have to have somebody protect him. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think this team needs to make any moves at all. I understand the disappointment factor, but make that comes from. Like that. Yeah, that it comes from this system doesn't work. Let's change this up. Let's yeah. get other guys involved on, on offense. Let's put the ball in Eric Gordon's hand a little bit more. Let's see what these other guys can do. And now it makes James more dangerous because he doesn't have to be on the ball all the time. I mean, James could, he's just talented enough to still get 25, 25, 9, and 8 without having that many touches, you know. But get him some easier buckets. Put him in situations to where he can cut back door, yeah. things like that. I mean, that's, that's where, to me, that's where they need to focus on is – Let's change some things we're doing from within. Not let's go out and just get another star to get another star. Yeah. According to sources. What well, a reality. Go oh ahead. my bad. Let go me ahead. add this. The reality is that you know teams see this as an opportunity, man. Especially teams in the West. Yeah. I mean, Golden State is down big time. You know what I'm saying? Like you like you see what the Lakers are doing, and so that's I don't funny, even... BC, because C4 and I just said basically the Raptors waited LeBron out. They waited them out. They waited them out. You know, yeah, they waited them out. And now, and you know, and I think, and I honestly think the Houston thing is a response to what the Lakers are doing. I go to state. You know what I'm saying? Like they, like everybody, see this as a chance. Like this is my opportunity in the West. It's basically wide open. You know, so teams don't want to do stuff like that, and they'll do drastic things, or you know, try to make drastic moves like that just to capitalize and try to win a win a championship in Houston. Like Chris said, like they just hungry to win, man. Like they, not I'm not gonna even say that they've been right there, but they've been the team that's been talked about. The, they're like the Pacers 
like the Paul George Pacers. You know what I'm saying? Like the team that you see, they just right there, but they just can't get over the hump. According to sources, former general manager Bobby Marks, now ESPN, says that there is a battle going on in New York for two free agents. Brooklyn is battling the New York Knicks to both grab KD and Kyrie Irving as a package. Fellas, for the longest, we really thought this package was a done deal to the Knicks. They had the cap space. It seems like they changed, even though they still had James Dolan. They changed coaches. They changed Scott Perry came in, tried to change the image. Fisdale came in, much respected coach, especially by a lot of the players in the NBA. And now we have a civil war, Brooklyn versus Manhattan, to grab the package deal that is Kyrie and KD. Is there either one of these teams that get both of these players to sign, even despite the injury to KD, or the or do you guys see either one of these guys signing elsewhere and then impacting the other guy to not sign with either one of the teams? How's it Where did out? Brooklyn come from in all of this? That's what I'm kind of shocked at. Like, they just came out of nowhere in free agency. Well, a um, lot of people made the connection that the Brook, I believe the Brooklyn doctor, uh, the head doctor for... Uh, the Brooklyn Nets is the one that performed the surgery on Kevin Durant. Uh, he left, went straight to their physician. Oh, I guess wow. that's the guy that was the second opinion that he was getting the entire time. Uh, he performed the surgery, so they made that connection. He's a team doctor? He's a team doctor for the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. Uh, also, Kyrie, the connection with him was his quote, um, he knows some people, Rock Nation, yeah. Uh, with KD, invested. of course, yeah, being connected to the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets. Nets. And just a lot of things that are ancillary, really outside on the perimeter, nothing concrete mm-hmm. or at the core, but just a lot of small things that people are trying to connect the dots to say, man, Brooklyn has actually jumped into the picture to probably acquire both of these guys. I'm not buying it. I just can't see it. I think if you go to New York, you don't go to the B squad in my opinion. But, hey, they're getting a sit-down. So they'll get their opportunity just like everybody else to sit down with both of these guys and try to claim them as a package deal. Mm-hmm. And the Knicks, have this is what they've been on. This is why they got rid of Porzingis. Yeah. This is why they cleared the cap space. How, how does it play out? I mean, I, I think this is something Andre Udala said. It's like, you know, now, basketball see, has... This is something that you've been saying since last summer. Yeah. The KD Kyrie thing is real... And it's the Knicks. I still think it can be. Okay. I still think it can be. Um, obviously, it's going to have to wait. But, you know, the, the first domino that has to fall in either one of these situations is going to have to be Kyrie. And you don't really have to make a, you know, you don't you don't have to make a move on Kevin Durant right now. Because, like I said, I think Kevin Durant stays, resigns with Golden State, gets the maximum money that he can get, does that one-on-one. And then he hit free agency next summer, and then he could, you know, he could make that move to the team too. Well, he um, did opt out mm-hmm. of his player option. Oh, mil. yeah, he opted okay, out. Okay, yeah. So he could still, yeah. like you said, he could still do a shorter deal with another player option to be free once he's healthy. But if Golden he wants State to can pay him the route. most money, right? Yeah, Golden State can pay him five years, mm-hmm. super max. Everybody else, it's a four-year deal. Man, I would make Golden State give me one year that super max. 
gave me my bread. Well, they also but, talked yeah. about the. I think Brian Windhorst brought up the possibility of Golden State doing the supermax deal and then doing a sign and trade with whatever team too. he wants to go to. Mm-hmm. And if they, they do should too. do it in good faith, that was his point. Yeah, I like mean, just, just in good with, faith. Yeah, just with the. Yeah, y'all yeah. owe that man. Right, y'all definitely own. You own. Um, but yeah, like I said, I mean, I think he could still get to New York. You know, and them, you know, in, in either of those scenarios. Um, but like I said, it's, Kyrie is the Kyrie is the main piece in this. So wherever he decides to go, you know, package deal still in place, and that's where we probably pay Ke- uh, Kevin Durant is going. But. I still think the Knicks can do it. Um, the Brooklyn thing is very interesting, but like you said, son, that's the B squad, man. You know, this is you know this is Madison Square Garden versus the Barclays, and I understand yeah. the whole Rock Nation thing too. So and a Barclay is nice. Yeah, it's a nice it's very place. Nice. Forty forty inside. It's a real nice venue, especially I mean, to see concerts. But but it ain't the Garden, it's man. It's not the Mecca. You're right. It's not the it's Mecca. Not, it's not the Garden. But you know, this is like one hundred eighty dollars there. Like basketball is about competition and a reality show and that's what this stuff you know kind of that that's what free agency is and that's pretty, pretty well what the summer is you know they move free agency up to what you said june 30th yep so prime time you know that yeah that's like a week earlier um the bulls have a, that, have a free agency show tv wow. show wait who the bulls chicago have bulls. a prime time free agency show why comcast hey to, to sign who? Well, you mean just a, a, just a broadcast? So they just have a broadcast. Oh. Yeah. Oh, to report on what? What other, the Bulls but, are going to be doing? Oh, okay. Case. All right. But I mean, yeah, still, why? that's laughable. Yeah. <laughs> right. Why? Well, what are we? I can just watch ESPNs. Yeah. I mean, why am I watching yours? Why? Yeah. No, we're gonna. I don't know. I just saw somebody had that. Julius Randle. Like being tied to the Bulls of free agency some kind of way. But he also had Julius Randle tied to the Knicks. Yeah. As well. And some other teams. And uh shout out to Enos Cantor putting his foot in his mouth mm-hmm. on, on, on what TV. Did he, say, uh, he basically said that uh yeah, Zion Williamson was uh Julius Randle Julius Randle with hops. And uh Julius Randle tweeted out, dude, I just I dropped forty five on you the last time mm-hmm. you stuck me. Forty five. I like Ennis Cantor, man. He talk a lot. He can't shut his mouth. <laughs> but according to sources, man, let's get out of here. True for trash before we go. All right, BC, I don't know if you remember this, but you predicted episode six that the best place for Zion, this was before the draft lottery. You predicted that the best place for Zion Williamson to go would be to New Orleans. Yeah. Do you still feel this way? And true for trash for both of you guys, this might be one of the worst draft classes in the history of the NBA. Well, yes, I definitely feel like New Orleans was the best place for Zion, as you can see. They have already forgotten about Anthony Davis down there. Like it's not even like a thing. And I'm you know, I'm because I'm a lot closer now, I can see it. Yeah, man, they're not, they not thinking about AD at all. Like, that dude's already the king down there. Um, one interesting thing, I don't know if y'all heard about the whole copyright thing, the patent thing. The copy, Yeah, it was a copywriting thing for the Let's Dance. That was a very interesting uh, kind of situation um, where, you know, that's what Zion said, what, you know, when he got drafted, what he wanted to say to, uh, you know, the New Orleans fans of Let's yeah. Dance. Yeah, well... The team basically put a copyright on that probably like five hours before he did. 
and and the way copy copyright laws work because they filed first they could get it you know what I'm saying and put it on t-shirts and whatever like that so I'm sure that they'll work that out but that was kind of a, a real interesting yeah, move that's really that, interesting that, <laughs> that yeah, the team would do that we might go to the table on that one <laughs> you know Definitely. what I'm saying but um that came out of my nah, mouth I, think, I need yeah, to get a piece of that y'all, and y'all copyright it and, and like he had his whole he had bags hats and stuff all types of merch and stuff that he was gonna put it on so yeah we'll see how that goes but now, nah, I mean, I think I think New Orleans was a great situation for him because there's no pressure to win. Um, you know, the cost of living is dirt cheap. You can go out there and you know and do your thing. And like you, I mean, honestly, he is like the first big time basketball superstar, you know, in the South. And he's a Southern and kid, so it fits. Yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying. And so that's that's a huge, you know, that's a huge draw because. You know, you gonna have people coming from all over to see Pelicans games. Not, not they don't, and they not gonna give a damn if they win or not. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? Like they just from Texas, Mississippi, <laughs> yeah, you know, surrounding areas. Yeah, Louisiana, you know, I mean Alabama, yeah. you know, Baton, all them places. Like people are gonna flood that town, man. So, you know, in that respect, I think it's very good because as long as he don't get hurt, man, that dude is gonna he's gonna be immediately a seat filler. Yeah, like off the yeah, top, right. you know, it's like that we haven't seen since like LeBron James. So, no, nah, I, I think that's a great situation. And uh, what was the other one you asked me? True for trash. Will this go down as one of the worst NBA draft? Uh, oh, garbage. <laughs> this is bad. This is terrible, man. This is, this is a really bad class. I, I, I don't even know what to say, man. Like, it's, it was basically a two-player draft. That was it. Now, you know, you never well, know you what go guys are going to Indeed. Well, you know, yeah, you, you and RJ don't mix. Me and the other one. <laughs> I'm not even going to mention. You know what? I like what Atlanta's doing, so the fact that they picked up Cam Reddish mm-hmm. kind of soured me a little bit. But And the Deion, moving up to four to get DeAndre Hunter was kind of quizzical as well. I don't yeah. It's like, man, you couldn't have got him at five or six, but we'll see. I, what I do trust is that Lloyd Pierce is his background is development. Yeah. That's what he did with San Antonio. Yeah. And that is the strength of San Antonio. So if there's one coach that can make possibly develop either one of those guys, because I think DeAndre fits. I think he fits right next to John Collins as a three and Herter kind of he can defend yeah. a little bit. If it's a big two that needs to be defended, he can probably switch on to him and let Herter switch off so he doesn't get taken advantage of. We'll see how it plays out. But in your will, opinion, will, you said truth is what, you say it's truth one of the weakest classes or the okay. One of the weakest classes, but I do want to give a shout out to white boy Rick Tyler Hero <laughs> in Miami. <laughs> He's going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, probably too much fun. They're going to have a lot of fun on South Beach. Yeah, they're going to have to. It's one of those rooks where, you know, you're going to have to have somebody with him. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of people are questioning that pick, but a lot of people question the pick of one Josh Richardson. Mm -hmm. And he's become a really good player. Man, Pat Riley and uh, that whole crew, the way they look at numbers and analytics. I mean, just – he he's gonna easily be in the best shape he's ever been in. Ever just been getting in. down there. So just listening yeah, to like D Wade. 
Yeah, he'll talk probably, about his experience when he first got there. First few Absolutely. practices. Yeah. So, yeah, that's crazy. And they're gonna embrace that kid, man. He can hoop for real. Yeah, yeah. I think he was held back a little bit at Kentucky. And it's, it's a, well, Cal holds everybody back. Well, yeah. I mean, you got yeah. Yeah. What about you? This draft class. Um. Well, to go to Zion, I mean, I think. New Orleans, perfect place. I mean, good he has situation. To be, yeah, yeah. Uh, the one thing that I, I don't think has been discussed enough is how, like, just that whole marketing thing with him signing with somebody before CAA. Yeah. Like, that's not being talked about right. enough because Ooh. I look at just how much money has been left on the table for this kid. Like, your shoe contract should have been signed, you know, before it, mm-hmm. it was known New Orleans. You know, had the number one. So you lose a little bit of money because it'll more than likely be Nike, but you probably could have got so much more when, you know, New York and LA and even Chicago, like nobody knew. Wait, he still you don't have to boys negotiate it, I think it, it's not official, but I'm 98% that it's going to be Nike. It'll probably be announced, uh, you know, next week, you know, when summer leagues start. But, you know, I think everything is tied up just because of this lawsuit with the previous agency or marketing company that he signed with, and now that he's with CAA. I think that's what's holding up a lot of the announcements. Oh, it was a paperwork issue. Yeah, it's a paperwork issue. And I think that that lady, uh, the woman who runs that marketing firm, she has a case. I mean, a, no, no slouch at all either. I think she repped Usain Bolt for a while, mm-hmm. so CAA is gonna have to end up paying her Something, wow. something nice, yeah. just to get her to go away. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, perfect situation for Zion. To be honest, there. I was kind of shocked because midway through the season, I thought it was going to come down to clutch and Rock Nation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, from what I hear, it was a situation where they were going to do their own thing, and there was an agent in place, but that agent failed the certification, and oh. that kind of threw a monkey wrench in what their plans were, and they were left scrambling at the last minute. So, cause I don't even think he had signed with CAA up until like a week or yeah, two. Yeah, it was late. Yeah, before the late. draft. And just going back to this woman, I can't remember her name, uh, but he signed a five year, five year deal, which is crazy for a player, you know, like that, you know, when you sign- He signed that, a five year deal with her? Yeah, I think it was a five year marketing agreement, which is crazy to get a player of that caliber to sign off on five years is crazy. So, you know, a little bit of, you know, amateur hour just from, you know, whoever was That's running the show. Ball. Yeah, yeah. Whoever's running the show for Zion, maybe his father. I'm not sure. It was just, you know, either trying to rush, rush and get something done and, you know, you end up putting your foot in your mouth. But great situation there as yeah, far as like... According to uh, Sports Pro, he signed this deal... Uh, five days after he declared mm-hmm. for the NBA draft, uh, the lawsuit was filed in federal court in North Carolina on April the 20th. Yep. It's called Contact Prime Sports. Yeah, there we go. It was the name of the company in contact between Prime Sports and Williamson was initiated earlier in 2019 with the legal papers also stating that the agency employees traveled to Durham, North Carolina on four separate occasions to meet with the player and his family. So they were meeting with him mm-hmm. while the season was going on. Yeah. Yeah, he eventually signed with CAA on May 30th. Yep. Yeah. CAA came with that bag. And then he didn't inform Prime Sports, according to Sports Pro, 
of his decision to sign with CAA until May 31st, yeah. ending their agreement, by which uh, the suit alleges that Prime Sports Agreement was unlawful under North Carolina's Uniform Athlete Agents Act because the agency is not certified by the National Basketball Players Association or a registered athlete agent in North Carolina or Florida. So yeah, we'll see. we'll see how this lawsuit plays. Yeah, out. we'll see, but I still, yeah, I still think that they're gonna. Oh, she's gonna walk away with something. Yeah, she's walking away yeah. with you know some some nice, but good good situation with Gina Zion. Ford. Gina yeah, Ford. Gina Ford. There we go. Gina Ford is her name. Yeah, good situation for Zion on the court, off the court. That stuff will take care of itself. Yeah. Um, and as far as the weakest draft, man, uh, that's tough to say, just because. Is it, it's too deep, according to BC. Um, I'm a little bit more liberal because I feel like in every draft, it's been proven that somebody somebody's from step. 11 to 16 mm-hmm. steps up yeah. and becomes a lot better or yeah. outperforms what we originally think yeah. about them on draft night. And I see so, like three three or four guys that may do that. You're a Cam so. Reddish believer? That deep breath says it all. That deep breath says it all, C4. Yeah, man, because, man. But the fact he's with a guy that a good, Yeah, and he's in a... It's like a little bit of hope. system, but, yeah, yeah. But, you know, didn't see nothing from him. Yeah. At Duke, and I understand part of that was the system. But, you know, if you were that guy, you know, he, you, forced, you forced Coach K's hand. <laughs> what did you call him, D.C.? Who? Cam Reddish. What did I call him? I don't remember. I, just, I know I call him trash all the time. <laughs> I, you know what? I said, I did say that um, I thought RJ and Cam Reddish would both be traded before their rookie deals was up. That's what you said. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. You heard it here first. I believe that. Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett will both be traded before their rookie deals are Damn. up. Damn. <laughs> I believe that. Like I don't Barrett. believe in RJ Barrett oh, at all. I'm a Nick. <laughs> That's still one of the funniest yeah. sound bites I've ever heard. Like, he no, don't even know what he. Uh, he don't even know what he got himself into. Yo, I'm a Nick. I will play that throughout the season. Like, yep, son, you sure are. Yeah, for now. You sure? Is R.J. Barrett in those free agency meetings? You think? No. 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 He's lucky to be in the league. No. no. I don't know if you're trying to. I mean, that that to me would that be think, a tough you think, what No, that, what well, does that mean to Kyrie? Yeah, or Katie, exactly. Though? But still, now you you know you drafted this kid three. Now you play. Hey, this guy's coming here, so I knew you what you. Come off the yeah, I knew what you was planning, but you know it's better change of plans, man. So Kyrie and Kyrie, <laughs> Kyrie and Kyrie, you might listen to the podcast here, at BC, and say, "Hey, trade this kid for Kevin Love, or trade this kid for somebody else." Yeah, man. you never know. Tough situation for that kid. I mean, that's man, what but... LeBron gets there, and immediately, like, "Oh, we got Andrew Wiggins. Okay, yeah, right. go get Kevin Love." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nah, I, I don't think RJ's in on those meetings. Yeah, but shout out to those guys for working hard and getting drafted. Yeah, shout out to all the winners <laughs> uh the NBA awards as we get out of here, man. Especially shout out to Pooh, moment of the year, dropping that 50. We were actually here recording uh, yeah. an episode of According to Sources. It's that Halloween. And uh, we finished up. It was Halloween. We finished mm-hmm. up around halftime, and I informed you guys that going into the third quarter, Derek had 36, and I remember BC saying, oh, he's cooking. 
he's cooking tonight. He might get 50. And I was like, you think so? He's like, oh, yeah. yeah if he has 36 and a third, he definitely oh, yeah. might get ain't number 14 points. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great moment. And uh, to actually live it. I think we cut the TVs on and actually watched a little bit of it, too, before we got out of here. But uh, Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, of course, MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and uh, Sixth Man of the Year, of course, I need to rename it, the Lou Williams Award. They probably will call it that once he retires. So congratulations to all those guys, man. And uh, Hey, can I say I've never, I've never watched the NBA Awards show, and I never will. Uh, I didn't watch it either. I just saw the tweets. I've never seen. I saw Giannis's uh, speech, and that was it. That was it. I heard it was much bigger than the previous two years, and much better. They had a lot more play, big player uh, representation and participation. uh, I did see the John Wall thing. Did y'all see that? Yeah, I saw him talking. I didn't listen to all of it, but Uh, yeah, you should probably do that or not. I don't know what was wrong with John. <laughs> it was bad, though. He was probably high drunk. Drunk high. However you want he to call some, it. He was lit. Or either he was just scared of speaking publicly. I don't know. But it was... Yeah, find that clip, man. <laughs> if you just want to laugh for a few minutes. All right, according to sources, thanks for listening to us once again. Go check us out. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. Go ahead, type in A2S Network. According to sources, also under the umbrella of the Under the Hood Podcast Network. I am your guy, SD2 Mikes, Sean Davis, from my guy, C4, Chris Kaysen, and my guy, Mr. Crawford. Mr. Crawford D, Brian Crawford. We bid you adieu until next time where we'll be talking about free agency and all the trades and moves that have changed the landscape of the NBA going into the fall. According to sources right here, A2S Network.